You are listening to Healing Arts with Dr. Shelley Care. Visit me online at www.pastlifelady.com. Connect with me on YouTube at Past Life Lady or on my Facebook fan page at Past Life Lady. Hi friends, Dr. Shelley here. Guess what? You're not going to believe this. I have another book coming out from Llewellyn Worldwide. It will be out on December 8th and it's called Blast from the Past, Healing Spontaneous Past Life Memories. So earlier in the 2000s, I wrote a book series, which I have discussed on the Healing Arts Podcast about a phenomenon I call Supretravi spontaneous past life memories. This is when we're trying to mind our own business and yet we're hit with this picture, thought, or feeling about something that happened to us in the past. This was happening to me all the time while I was traveling to other places and what I found through my research is that I truly believe this happens to every single person alive. The book has some incredible endorsements from people like Coast to Coast's George Norrie and others, and it would mean the world to me if you will go out and pre-order my book so that you can have it before the holidays when it comes out on December 8th. So check out Blast from the Past, Healing Spontaneous Past Life Memories, now available in pre-order on Amazon.com. And thank you so much for your support. Namaste. The Healing Arts Program is not intended as a substitute for consultation with a licensed medical or mental health professional. The listener should regularly consult a physician or mental health professional in matters relating to his or her health and particularly with respect to any symptoms that may require diagnosis or medical attention. This program provides content related to educational, medical, and psychological topics. As such, listening to the program implies your acceptance of this disclaimer. Welcome to Healing Arts. I'm your host, Dr. Shelley Care. Hey friends, and welcome to another episode of Healing Arts. So guess what? We talked to my friend Alan Steinfeld a while back about his new book, Making Contact. And today I am so thrilled to be inviting the amazing and talented Henrietta Weeks to the program. She has an essay in Alan's book called Something Moving, and it's incredibly compelling. She is a multi-talented, and we're going to need to talk to her about everything she's got going on because it's so fascinating. She started a production company called The Vine, and you can visit Henrietta online at vineproductions.com. That's spelled V-Y-N-E productions.com. Henrietta, it is such a joy to connect with you. Thank you for coming on Healing Arts. Thank you, Shelley, for having me. I'm so happy to be here with you. I really am. 
And I love Alan's book and I was so honored to be asked to write a piece for Alan because I was like, the truth to tell, I was like, but, but I'm not an expert. I haven't been in the field for 30 years. And he said, no, but you've, you're a new initiate and it all happened with Alan and he liked my writing. So that's how that happened, you know. It was really amazing. Um, I, I love Alan's book as well. And I think you talk in the book about the fact that he really did encourage you to do this. This was something very new to you. So how does it feel now? Because his book has been a bestseller. What is it like to, you know, you not only stepped out, but you're really out there now in this field. So what do you think? About I know. It? Well, to be honest, I mean, I find it extraordinarily exciting that it's been so well received, even by such magazines as Publishers Weekly, which I thought they were bound to say, this is outlandish nonsense, you know, we're used to that. But they said, you know, this is a compelling read, it's a must read for those who aren't, you know, new to the subject, because you'll really see a lot of the subject from different angles. But I, and I also felt quite, um, so I was excited for him and for the book to come out, but I also felt like, oh my goodness, I would write something different now. I wish I hadn't written that. You know, because a lot happens in a year when you're sort of in um, thinking about these subjects, you know, and I've read a lot more and I've talked to a lot more people who have had these kinds of experiences and I feel like I would have a lot more to say, but Alan just said to me, oh, don't worry, every writer feels that way. You can just write another one. <laughs> so, but I, I'm glad to be, I'm honored to be a part of all those heavyweights when I'm not one of them. You know, I'm just, I just thought, I just told, I told as it, as it is, you know, what's happened to me, making no claims to know what it means, but just speculating, you know, I think for me, like as a reader, I mean, that's the reason why it was so compelling though, because I mean, you're very, you're very vulnerable and just so honest and friends out there, you know, if you pick up Alan's book, Henriette is writing. I mean, you, you're very lyric as you are because you are an artist, um, but you, you put it in a kind of a poetic way, but a very raw and very vulnerable way. You're just letting people know about your experience. And I thought it was refreshing because you, you know, just coming to it from just pure honest space is is really a, a very exciting thing to read i'm so thanks shelly for saying that because you know that's all i felt i could do i didn't have any of the other you know i didn't have the research and the knowledge that all the others have had and so um i just wrote i did i wrote straight from experience but i did you know, once Alan and I started having these long conversations, I did realize that a lot of my experiences did fit with the literature that I was then looking at. You know, I think I say in my essay that Alan said to me, he just threw me this sort of old paperback, literally kind of moth-eaten, you know, of Communion by Whitley Strieber. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I thought, well, this isn't, my kind of book really um I'm a great reader but I thought well this isn't my kind of book but but he's recommending it and I trust him so I'm going to read it and then I started it one night and I just didn't put it down until I finished it but not only that it was one of the few books 
that I felt was a transmission. I wasn't just reading a story. I, I felt like I know exactly what he's talking about. It was like, there, it was sort of triggering things in my memory. I kind of had this sensation of like, I was falling in a kind of time loop, you know, I was going in and out of sleep because I was reading it at night and I was having these strange memories of where I not, I didn't know where they were coming from, you know, but, but they felt, they didn't feel un, um, like something I was imagining because I know what that process is like, imagining stories. Right. Also didn't feel like a dream. It felt like these were actual memories of something that had happened to me. And then, you know, I talk about in the essay, um, this recurring dream I'd had as a child that was, you know, very often and over a number of years. And um, I could never understand, I could just never understand what it could point towards because it, you know, I thought, you know, was I being secretly abused? You know, all these things that we wonder or was I, was there something really strange going on in the sort of military um, kind of camp that we were living in? I mean, it was a, a group of houses in England. My stepfather was in the army. But I, and or was it just that classic childhood dream of being afraid of monsters and invaders coming into your house? But the one thing that was remarkably strange was this um, element of the dream where it would always end where the invaders, the visitors had, they found me in my room and I was hiding under my bed and they would, one of them would lift up my nightdress and just run a finger down my spine from the base of my neck to the bottom of my spine. And not in an aggressive way, just literally very, just run a finger down my spine and then I'd wake up and it would always be that way. It always ended on that note, wherever I was hiding was usually under my bed, but it could be a cupboard or it could be under another bed in the house. That was how, and I always felt in the dream, the presence of this person or being, I could feel them, I could feel them sort of breathing and their smell, like it was real and then this finger. So I'd always been a bit baffled by that. But then when I read communion and I started looking at the abduction literature and it's like that, there's something there, you know, that's similar to how these people describe being kind of touched, being touched in different ways. Obviously some people speak about the more aggressive invasions. We've all heard of the you know, taking out the, the eggs and, you know, doing strange operations. But I, I have had, you know, one dream that was, was like that too, which I could make no sense of at all. And again, it didn't feel like a dream. It felt like it was a different kind of experience. But I think dreaming itself is a, is a wide, wide spectrum, right? Yeah, yeah. Right, and you know that as a past life. It's like, you know, dreams have all different shades and um, vibrations and there's definitely not just one way of dreaming and, and they tell us different things. 
But these two particular dreams were very much in line with the, you know, whatever it is, it was like I was being examined in this other one, the other dream, I was really being examined with instruments in a very cold, harsh, kind of gray operating theater. Um, I, and I didn't feel particularly afraid. I was just sort of confused, like, what am I doing here? And I arrived there in an elevator that I got into it. It just kind of went crashing down and there were no windows. And, and the thing is in the abduction literature, I've read so many similar stories about that environment. So, you know, put two and two together, it's like piecing together a lot of interesting experiences that seem to correlate with a lot of other people's. And I have seen um, UAPs, is what they call them now, the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, which I talk about in the essay, when I was just walking the dogs in England in broad daylight, not on any substances, you know, very straightforward dog walk on the, what they call the downs, the kind of rolling fields behind my mother's house. And in the bright blue sky, which is rare for England, so they're often gray. <laughs> it was a bright sunny day with blue skies. And there were like five sort of triangular white craft that were just moving in formation with no sound. And it just didn't make sense that they could fly like that. Right. So back and forth and up and down, you know, it just, there was no, their trajectory was not something I've ever seen or could have imagined. And I, I really didn't know what to make of it at all. So I kind of didn't make anything of it, which is another common experience. You just go, oh, well that happened. I have no idea what it is and you carry on. Right. And I didn't go and share it with anybody. I just kind of didn't really think about it that much other than I found it like really interesting, but like, what were those things? Uh, and it's interesting how the mind doesn't then, you know, a lot of people don't go and sort of start exploring and researching. They just kind of go, well, no, and then they carry on. <laughs> yeah. Know? So with it, when you saw the craft there, was this during the same period of time when you were having these other experiences with being touched? Was it at the same house or were these different times in your life? Yeah, that, that, that was actually later when it, the, the very intense um, period of having the uh, recurring dream was from much younger age of, I'd say between six and 11. Cause it was in that, house we were in that particular house which was up in the north of England which also I've since discovered is a very the area we were in was a, a real sort of hot spot for UFO sightings I mean I had no idea so that's interesting um yes. but then when I saw the UFOs you know these strange beautiful flying things that made no noise in the sky I must have been about um 16 or 17. Mm. So a lot later. Do yeah. you think that the, what do you think causes them to show up in particular places that are hot spots? I mean, just in your opinion, because I think your opinion is refreshing because again, you know, 
you have your I opinion. haven't looked at much yeah I mean I think that's good yeah and I'd be interested to know I'd love to know what you think about that because I I I have no idea other than that I do have a sense that there are certain areas where you know land whether it's you know there are crystals in the land you know or mountains or there have been happenings through history you know that that give the land imbue it with a um a much sort of higher resonance um shall we say where things can happen i mean it's like the bermuda triangle so i think yeah right yeah and i know that um for instance, where I saw the UFOs, that particular area historically in England was where a lot of uh, witches held, you know, ceremonies up on those hills. You know, there was a oh. ring of trees nearby where they did a lot of ceremonies. So I think that I, I think that the um, the land becomes kind of potent because of. Uh, humans having been in contact with, you know, other intelligences and spirits and, you know, allies and ancestors. So that that's what I'm imagining. That's um, actually so interesting because, um, you know, I do have my space background today, partly for you, but also because I was just on an interview before we got together here. And they wanted me to talk about this book I wrote about Lemurian seed crystals, which I've always thought the Lemurians were interdimensional extraterrestrials. And so they were asking me the same question. Why are these, you know, I grew up in um, New Mexico and Southern Arizona, and there's very special minerals there. Yes. You just can't find any other place. And they're very similar to the way the geological makeup is of the Middle East. And then you see certain places in England, like you said, I, I think it's absolutely valid to say if people were performing rituals and ceremonies that we do make an impact on, you know, opening up places in the space fabric, in addition to the Bermuda Triangle and the natural ones that are always, you know, already here. I, I think that's a really good point. Absolutely. I agree. And then, you know, but who knows, because I know that a big, I, I lived in New York for many years, like 22 years, um, and in Mexico currently, because of the pandemic, but... Um, oh, Henrietta, can you turn up your volume? I don't know oh. where it went. Is it, am I back? Yes, okay, that's good. Oh, thank God. <laughs> that would have been... Da, 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 something it's okay. them they want to be heard <laughs> well it is interesting on these weekly chats i've been doing with alan and his guests on wednesday evenings a lot of funny tech stuff does happen which makes total sense you know um but what would oh yeah so um places places and the potency of the land and things that have happened there before um, yeah, I, I feel that that's one of the things, but then as Alan said in his interview with you, you know, they do tend to also show up at, you know, above nuclear silos. And, and I'm interested in that. And like, I think that they, I'm very interested in how they appear randomly. Uh, for instance, here, I know a lot of people who have seen craft 
here. And there's one particular place which I'd like to sort of take a group out to, which is sort of out in the countryside under the mountains. And the owner of this particular ranch, which is incredible, has seen numerous, you know, light space craft, which seem to be made of what they say, you know, glowing light, which is a classic thing, as opposed to you're looking at something that's like, oh, it's it's made of metal or it's this or it's anything recognizable. People always often say that they look like they're just sort of glowing plasma or something like that you know yeah. so I might you know I think I, it would be good for me to go out and see if we could spot some here in the spot that I'm in in Mexico which is called San Miguel de Allende which traditionally has drawn a lot of um uh over you know through history a lot of um indigenous shamans to this area but now a lot of healers from all over the world of different types and artists too traditionally so there's a lot of potency in this particular spot I'm in which and I didn't come here by the way for that reason I came to visit a friend from New York who was in the theatre and then I did some theatre projects but I met wonderful people right away and then some of my best friends are um healers of different types yeah wow that is yeah. amazing speaking of the theater tell us about vine productions and your the theatrical work yes thank you okay well so i named vine productions after my childhood home which was so extraordinary which i think sort of was the seed the fertile kind of bed of where my imagination could grow because it was this old stately home in england we lived in a small part of it but it had woods and lakes and I, and I used to spend loads of time, you know, before the days of television and phones. Right. I just spent a lot of time making up, you know, making friends with the animals and the plants and the trees. And um, so that's why I called my production company, The Vine. And I really wanted to be able to do through the vine a mixture of things. I wanted to be able to talk about my theatre projects. Um, also to, I, I've hosted a couple of retreats down here in Mexico. Um, one which, which was on hypnosis and past life regression. Um, the other one was um, about plants, medicinal plants. Nice. And, you know, because it's, it's a great place to host these things. People can come down from, you know, their busy city lives a bit like, you know, it, it has some, that sort of magic of New Mexico. Yeah. Oh, which yeah. Which I also experienced because I've been there. And it's just very beautiful here with a lot of natural hot springs. And so I, I was in the middle of kind of building the vine before the pandemic hit you know, doing a lot of theatre projects, um, which we're now beginning to pick up again. But I also, and, and then special projects, which will either be, you know, um, uh, retreats, but also any kind of humanitarian projects that I become involved with. Um, there are quite a lot of groups that I'm 
currently talking to, you know, to see what we can put together in terms of, um, I'm just a big believer in like, whatever we're doing, we have to remember that most of the planet don't have clean, safe drinking water. Right. Mm -hmm. Healthy food and shelter. So it's kind of like, I, I, you know, any way that, any project that I is sort of coming towards me of, of those things of which they have this year, I want to be able to talk about those on the vine too. But I also would like to be able to tell stories because I think that's how people, you know, really connect and desire to want to get involved. So through film or theater, you know, that's my particular way or writing, yeah. And then I also was putting together a project, which again, I haven't really done in the pandemic, but I'm thinking of picking up, which I called Endless Poetry. And I, because I do believe that um, the, way, the, the way that poetry is non-linear is a very wonderful way to talk about things we don't understand or can't make sense of. Like, you know, encounters with strange beings, UFOs, dreams, abductions, whatever you want to call them. You know, I think that writing a poem can be so um, a powerful communication between people. And I also believe that everybody has a poem in them. I don't think that you need to know anything about poetry. You don't need to know about iambic pentameter or rhyming. You don't have to do all those things. I was taught it in an academic way, but some of the poems that I have found most beautiful have just sort of sprung out of people organically right. with no literary background, you know? So I was just, I wanted to encourage this project of people sharing their poems. And by the way, I'm also a big believer in how poems um, might suddenly just come through you. My two favorite poems that I've written, I didn't sit down and make a plan. I didn't, wasn't thinking about it. They just kind of poured out of me because of my emotional um, state. One was when I was in grief and I felt like I had to express mm -hmm. and it just poured out a very short one. And the other one was when I fell in love with someone. <laughs> and I, they're, they're my favorite ones. They're very short, but people like those. They're, they kind of go, oh. So I feel like, you know, that's something that I really like to encourage people to do like to get that project rolling again through the vine you know people videoing themselves reading their own poem or one that they particularly resonate with and just building a sort of library of endless poetry so that's, wow, that's a project great. right because I, I feel like you and I talking now is wonderful and I love conversations and I and I love reading journalistic articles and but there's something about poetry which takes us out of our, you know, we're constantly trying to find something. Whereas poetry, you can just, you can freely explore. It's kind of like space travel, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You'll just, uh, it's more about the questions and not the answers. 
and we're not trying too hard to find the answers, but the questions themselves kind of take us along on a more interesting journey and one of joy and wonder, which I'm a big fan of. You know, I think we've all felt terribly bogged down in our current situation. Mm -hmm. Environmentally, things are looking pretty scary. Um, the pandemic has made us all go like, oh, and we're still in that state, what next? You know, it seems mm -hmm. to be ending and easing, but then we don't really know, you know. So I just feel that um, there's a lot to contend with in the real world. Yes, right? yes. And, you know, there's a lot of like really horrible things happening out there. I'm sure of a lot of that we don't really know, even know about, you know, how awful it is, you know, people being exploited for labor in the third world, particularly I'm living in Mexico. I've learned a lot about that from my partner because mm -hmm. he's a lawmaker, so he researches deeply. And I had no idea how Latin America had been exploited by the great empires of the United States and England. <laughs> where I come from, you know, and he's, it, those things make me sad, but I think that, and they're awful, but we must, you know, we must keep our hearts vibrating high and go forth as strong as possible, you know. Um, so I think that like you and I were talking about before this, I think we live in incredible times because there's so much opportunity to change everything. Yes. The, the people though, I have to say I'm a bit cynical about governments like you know like hopefully policies will change but I, I think it might be too slow I think we have to do it I do mm -hmm. to do it in our small uh, cooperative communities we have to grow our own food we have to develop our incredible abilities as human beings of you know psychic telepathy um, creative inventions, storytelling. I think that's what's going to do it. You know, I do. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. We're the people we've been waiting for. Exactly. That's, always, that's a great quote. And I really subscribe to that. So, you know, going back to all these really like the, the massive information coming out about the you know, UFOs are real, say the government and the Pentagon and people high up in the military and the media is, you know, front page headlines. My stepfather sent me an article from England, which is extraordinary. He'd never usually do this about, you know, they say that UFOs are real because it's in the English Times. So therefore suddenly my essay is valid because the Times is saying it, you know, but I, I find that to be um, probably a bit misleading. And what really is their agenda? I don't know, but I'm just saying that I'd rather go. I like talking to, to people, to us, because people have ex had extraordinary experiences. And if we all are talking about the conversation, you know, if we're all having conversations together, who knows what we might discover or be able to create because with your experience coupled with mine, like, oh, wow, you saw that weird holographic thing in the middle of your bedroom. 
and these golden beings were telling you about how we can heal ourselves through understanding our cellular bodies you know that by the way a woman told me that that she had that experience i mean those things are fascinating if we're listening to those people alongside what scientists are discovering i think that we've got a really good chance at kind of understanding ourselves in a whole new way yeah i totally agree before the show we talked about this idea that you know the thing i talked to alan about what and I, you and i talked before the show i don't get why this is such a big surprise to everyone that yeah. these beings are visiting us but apparently they're acting like it's a big disclosure but like we said you and I and others have had our own little experiences that collectively we're just kind of over here going, okay, well, it's about time. Yes, you know? and throughout history. I mean, I've I've always been interested in particularly the Australian Aboriginals. My father ended up yes. living there. And when I read about Australian Aboriginal society, it's like, oh my God, these people knew the mysteries of the vast universe. You know, they, they're nothing, and, and also they communicated right. telepathically, by the way, and they shared their dreams. It was just as important as the waking life. But they also, you know, they came from different stars. They, they knew, they were like, oh, I came from that star, you came from that star. I mean, so these things have been going on for many thousands of years, but we did enter a period of time where we got really fascinated and seduced by the rational and the measuring which is also very important but we've been so kind of wrapped up in that that people i know won't you know they don't want to listen to anything that sounds like well okay so you saw these things but then i need evidence or it needs to happen again for it to be real otherwise it was just a figment of your imagination you know we've we've become kind of seduced by science which is also a relatively new way of looking at the world, if you think about it, you That's know, right. measuring the world. And, and it's definitely useful, but I would say that it's like that much a grain of sand in the, what we're actually in here, what we're embedded in as humans. It's just, and it, it, it's, it's useful. And I, I think it should work alongside the stories people seem to find themselves in in the dream world or waking life but it's it's really a small part of it i want to say actually that i hope i'm not talking too much no we want to hear everything we love it i read this fantastic book recently called extraordinary knowing mm. Some skepticism and the inexplicable powers of the human mind and it was written by a psychoanalyst who was a rationalist and a believer in science in that you know you must have empirical evidence and data to be talking about anything that's kind of psychic or the these strange things that that happen but she it was so brilliant because she was kind of initiated into the mysteries of the world by her daughter her daughter's harp antique heart was harp was stolen and she was just distraught. And somebody said to her, well, why don't you ask like this dowser, this remote viewer? And she kind of thought, I don't believe in that, but I'm gonna try it anyway, because I really want to find it. 
And sure enough, the Dowsa could give the exact coordinates where this heart was. So then she entered this whole new world of like, what is that ability? Where does that come from? And she then discovered that there were lots and lots of scientific research at you know, credible universities being run since the 50s that were trying to look at telepathy and remote viewing and psychic abilities and dreams. And um, they found out, so that's one thing which a lot of us don't know about that, you know, these topics have been taken seriously for most of this century. Like a lot of my friends, I don't think know that. Um, and that's interesting to wonder about. But she also said that in these experiments they were running, when they were trying to um, kind of uh, validate how intuitives work, like it just didn't work. It didn't work. Like once you really started going like, okay, I'm gonna try and do it again and see the same things, it doesn't work. There's something about when you're, when you're intuitively getting information, you have to be in a certain state of mind, which is relaxed and kind of in the not knowing for something to, to come in. That's, you know, that's what I find for myself. I've been, <clears throat> I've been being taught by a psychic friend of mine, certain techniques recently. But one of the things that he was telling me before that was, um, oh, you know, you're not going to find your dog. My dog kept going missing unless you relax. You know, you, you've got to you've got to relax, and then you you will know when you know where to go. And I just thought, what, really? But he was right. I did know. I found our dog that went missing like four or five times immediately in the middle of nowhere in this Mexican countryside. And because he sort of said to me, get into the state of mind, relax, and know that you can find her, call her. And I went, okay, I'm going there. And when I got there, I asked the only person who was sitting under a tree and this little Mexican woman went, oh yes, I have your white dog at my house. Oh wow. Got in my car. And I drove her like through fields to her little shack. And there was our dog. And she said she was just looking after her because she didn't know who the owner was. So, you know, those things happened like four or five times in a row where we just went straight to her. But in that state of mind, so it's, it's really hard for people who haven't experienced these things to understand that it's literally you know, the evidence, the proof is in the pudding, right? If that had happened once, I can chalk it up to pure coincidence, but five right. times, right? And I kind of think the same about the UFO and the abduction experience. If people keep having these experiences, there's something going on and millions of people. Yeah, and to your point that you made earlier about the way these experiences were coming to you with the encounters, you know, and then you started realizing other people were having the same encounter. Why would, if that was a dream, why would you be having that same dream that someone else was having? You wouldn't, you know, you would have your own psychological material you would be working through. So I think it speaks to that. So it's beyond, and that's why like John Mack, the, the Harvard psychiatrist, 
and the essay in Alan's book, I'm so glad he included him because he really was like a respected, renowned Harvard psychiatrist that then got, you know, laughed at and ridiculed for saying, yeah. actually, it's not just about childhood trauma and it's not just about psychosis and all these things that psychiatrists look at. There's something going on here that seems to be about something else. There's some kind of visitation, contact, other intelligences that people are tapping into and they're communing with them, you know, and, and sometimes they're very uncomfortable and scary and other times they're magnificent and they seem to kind of switch people on to, you know, either more sort of psychic ability, should we say, or I, I believe that the people I know who've had encounters with UFOs seem to be much more empathic. You know, it seems to be that they just naturally kind of give in their immediate surroundings, like, oh, you know, a little dog or a little bird in trouble, they, they want to help. You know, this kind of these random acts of kindness that nobody else is witnessing, apart from me or, you know, two other people. So I, I think that's the most important thing. I think it starts there. I do. If I was ever going to teach anything, it would be like, well, you can't teach anything or know anything until you can, you know, love thy neighbor. I mean, really. Right. Can't be baseline decent, and you can sit on a yoga mat and chant for twenty years. But if you're not going to consider the person that is asking you for help, and it's maybe inconvenient, <laughs> then really, that—that's my personal thing. I sort of decided, okay, when I was living in New York City, I thought, what organization can I get involved with? What? How can I help the world? You know, my obsession with clean water, like what's that gonna, it's like, well, you know what you can do is make sure that the people in your immediate block are, you know, that have some help, whether it's by a sandwich or a cup of tea or a conversation, laughter, you know, we can all do our bit. So I don't think there's anything grand about it. I think it's like you and I talking about these things and then you having created this and sharing it with people that's 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 the magic because then we're, we're really we're we're actually talking about what matters in my opinion yeah i agree it's not it's not as fancy and as you know out there as people think it's the simple things and even when you were discussing earlier about the way you found your dog i mean that's just such a beautiful story i think that we get really locked down in that more scientific aspect of ourselves that we've been trained to believe that sometimes we shut down the wisdom that we have within us that will help us to have the knowing we need. And like you said, just to make real connections with people in ways that maybe it's not going to make the evening news, but it's making a difference in at least one person's life, then it's probably worthwhile, obviously. Yes, and it spreads. It spreads. And actually, it's really funny. We have, it's lovely to talk to you because I, I sort of, I'm always joking. I like humor a lot because I think humor um, allows people in. So, you know, if, you're, if somebody's very skeptical and you're kind of telling something 
telling a weird story, if you're kind of laughing about it at the same time, they sort of go like, they feel much more easy to even contemplate the possibility of, you know, these strange happenings. And so one of the things I'm always joking about is do we have to keep listening to kind of like very serious men in ties tell us? <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah. What it is. I'm not saying that there's not a place for that. Like I, I really am not. I'm not, I'm like all about, you know, science and the wonderful discoveries that are continually made. And my family are all in medicine and very traditional. Although my great cousin, my grandfather's cousin, I only discovered this year because we went, apparently my mother wasn't allowed to talk about her. She was like homeopath to the royal family. She was wow. the homeopathic doctor to the royal family. It's incredible. I know, but I come from, you know, my grandfather was like, we shall never speak of her because she will shame our family because we believe in the brilliance of medicine, which I do too, but I believe in both. They, yes. One doesn't discard the other. Exactly. You know, we're all finding our ways. You know, yeah, there's always got to be balance within all these things that we're talking about, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you know. That's incredible. I, and I the love homeopathic it. doctor to the royal family. I know, she was amazing. Blackie, and I would like to be able to include her in one of our films at some point because I feel like, well, she's a relative and she must have been very interesting because there are tales of her turning up at Buckingham Palace with her doctor's bag with sort of newts and toads and strange plant, strange plants. I mean, who knows if that's apocryphal tale or truth. It sounds so good though. It would make a wonderful story. I know. And she looks so great with all her jars and potions behind her in the photographs I've seen of her. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And also the royal family, you know, look at them. They, they kind of have longevity in mm. their their 90s, their hundreds, recently. So I thought, well, she must have been doing something right. You know, whatever she was prescribing. <laughs> so amazing. Wow, that's incredible. I've got a new book out about um, healing ancestors, like going out and putting light into the lineages of our ancestors. And the research that I did suggests that up to 20%, or no, that's not right, 50% of who we're showing up as when we interact with others is directly brought through the DNA. And so you are bringing through her energy. So it would be perfect for you to write a story about her because I know everybody would love that. It sounds fascinating. What's your book called again? What, what's your book called? Oh, it's called Heal Your Ancestors to Heal Your Life. But when I hear people talking about their amazing ancestors, I think, oh, well, no wonder you're so amazing because you had amazing ancestors. I mean, you know, let's face it. Oh, yeah. It's so, I really think that, you know, that they're, they're absolutely, you know, with us, part of us completely. They are the scientists though. That's what we're saying, Henrietta. This is incredible. Real scientists, like not like woo-woos like me, um, are actually starting to say that they believe that we are showing up 50% as our ancestors. So then that means we should be sending healing to the ancestors, maybe yeah. to our own past lives and then to the wider community, but it's, it's important. And so, um, you know, it seems like 
you're able to really bring forth a lot of these very interesting and eclectic things all in one person here as your ancestors have done in the past. Very wonderful. Yeah, I'm just, what I'm trying actually that, you know, and my father passed at the very beginning of the pandemic, not, not from oh, COVID. Yeah. But one of the things I've learned, or one of the things I've really witnessed is, and felt is that, you know, he's really here as strong as ever mm -hmm. and shows himself to me in the physical world by showing up in a certain way. Mm -hmm. I write about it in my essay. He comes as white feathers and, it, you know, like all the time, certainly in the immediate weeks after he died. So I, I really do chat to him and I dream about him. And I mean, he's helping me along. What can I say? He might even be like, Somebody suggested to me the other day, well, maybe he's still here because he feels like you need some help, but maybe he needs to kind of go a bit further out. Have you considered that? And I thought, oh yeah, maybe. I'll think about that, like with somebody who knows about those things, that he's still hovering around in this realm. I don't know if you know much about that, but I, I'm kind of fascinated because I feel him very close and maybe it's time for him to go a bit further away at some point. I've always thought that maybe, you know, in transition like that, maybe the soul has a, an agreement with you to help you during this time. And then when that agreement is done or whenever, whatever needs to happen there, then he'll move on, you know? But I think you're right. You know, I have friends who pass and I feel like, I feel like I see them more than I did when they were here. Right. <laughs> it's a strange feeling, yes. Yes. It's that same interdimensional quality, I think that, that is what people are witnessing and discussing in ET contact. I mean, because yeah. just because you're not in physical body, you're still vibrating at a frequency. And sometimes it's, again, it's easier to get in touch with people in some level. And the, and the beings that I've come into contact, which, which aren't, they, they don't look anything like they're described in the, you know, that I haven't seen any of the little men or little people with the big eyes, but I have seen, um, things that look more like sort of large insects with wing, wings. Um, mm. But I feel the quality of them reminds me of how people talk about when they're coming into contact with these visitors or your, you know, you said you met a, a blue woman. Yes. For me, I felt like what I was witnessing with these insects were, for a start, they were like a sort of committee, and I mean, a line that I was looking up at. And it was just this vast intelligence where they could communicate all sorts of things very quickly on many different levels. They didn't understand us and they don't operate like us at all in the sense of sort of, you know, our emotional capacities, our, our sort of relationships with each other. It was just, a, it was a different kind of intelligence. So I was kind of interested in like, I felt like they wanted me to demonstrate what it was like being human. And in return, they kind of gave me something which I felt was very, could be useful, you know, which was <laughs> just a, a, a transmission. <laughs> you know, which like very intense, like you're saying, these higher frequencies. I think it's fascinating. It's like 
how wonderful if we could all get on board with like, yeah, let's communicate with all these different kinds of intelligence rather than going like, oh, well that, I don't believe in it. Like, well, how does that help us? Yeah, I don't, I can't understand that we can look up at the night sky and not think that there's something else out there. I mean, we surely are not that egotistical. I mean, we're not all of that. We're really probably pretty low on the totem pole in terms of intelligence, you know. Looking at a small insect or a butterfly or a plant, like it's so extraordinary. Or, you know, we just had our dog gave birth to six puppies and just that alone, I'm like, wait a minute, you know, this is just extraordinary. And so you, you only need to look at that, all of us and go like, I have no idea how I came into existence, really. Biologically we do, but we don't know what, right? Right. We don't know. And how everybody's so different. And there is this sense that we have a soul there there is so that mystery alone you know which is present with us all the time and death why not all the other mysteries that seem to be appearing to so many other people which is why i said to alan yes i do want to write a thing about ufos and these beings that are appearing because so many people are experiencing them and it shouldn't be weird and woo-woo and fringe because if you talk to people that they just kind of go like oh well I don't really want to mention it because people probably think I'm a bit strange but most people have had an encounter and if they haven't yet they probably will now according to Alan they're getting ready to so I, I agree better, buckle their seatbelts and get ready <laughs> do you feel that do you feel like stranger I mean, not stranger, but they're just, just they're, they're much more kind of cracks in the, what do you call it, fabric, the sort of space-time continuum. I feel like there's a lot more things coming to people in dreams and in waking life through physical symbols and synchronicities. It just seems like, yeah, there's a some kind of tipping point of consciousness. I don't know if you ever heard that story about the hundred monkeys, like, they were, um, they found some fruit, it had a bitter peel. So one of them learned how to wash the fruit off. And then they realized, okay, well, now this tastes good, and I can eat it. So once 100 of them learn this, then it tips the consciousness. So everybody just starts doing it. And mm -hmm. I feel like even when I first started talking about the blue lady, I kind of stopped talking about it. Because I was really writing books about gem healing. And I was kind of like, okay, good, because people were going, hey, Miss Lady, are you out of your mind? I had some really famous people going, you shouldn't really be talking about that. You know that. And so I kind of just put it away and then it came back. But now it just seems like people are much more open. You don't really need to worry that people are going to think you're nuts because there's so many more people who are open to this now, even though it's something that we've always known. But I think as that goes on, yeah, I mean, is it a big disclosure or is it just really um, a function of the tipping point of consciousness? But Alan certainly does make people consider and maybe become a believer that we are getting ready to get some major shift in consciousness that's going to allow a lot more of this information to come through because one of the concepts is that we can't accept anything until our minds can get our minds wrapped around it and so are we now finally ready to get our minds wrapped around these things I'm thinking well he might be right maybe we are you know 
so and I also think it's like you know the kind of general reality consensus it's like you know a group of friends who just you can it, overnight you can suddenly be like well actually I'm seeing things in a whole different way it's all about our perception of things and it only takes a few people to have a similar experience and to share that experience and you're your reality, the things that you've believed for 30 years can just shift overnight. So, you know, I wouldn't be at all surprised. I mean, let's say that suddenly there was this different form of life here on the planet and you could film them and everyone can see that. I mean, I don't think that's gonna happen that way. Um, I, I do believe it's this incremental thing. And then suddenly, as you say, the tipping point where it's part of the conversation. It's part of the conversation and it's not weird anymore. And then we're on to exploring it in a real way where everybody can get on board and go like, oh, we can look at it from the angle of science, from the angle of religion, from the angle of, you know, uh, extraordinary abilities of mind. Um, we can look at it from, from, you know, creativity and our imaginations, like isn't it extraordinary what we can imagine? We can look at it in all different ways and it won't be pushed aside. You know, and I, I do agree with Alan like that. I think it's coming, but I, he quoted that poem by Emily Dickinson, you know, tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Success in circuit lies. Because it's kind of like, if you tell somebody something, they'll go like, no. And then they'll go, no, 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 that's ridiculous, it's rubbish, it's rubbish. But if you, if you kind of like hint at it, which is why I like poetry and art and theater, you can get a lot of hints. It's all like clues, Easter eggs, hints, glimpses. And then the mind starts going like, mm-hmm, oh wow. And you, if you can just hold it as a possibility, that in itself is a game changer. Is, is what I believe or, or have Absolutely. seen, right? And, and you too, in your yeah. work. And in your, um, in your writing in this essay in Something Moving, you know, you, you've written it like poetry, just as you've said. So you're giving it to people in bite-sized pieces. It's very wonderful. I wanted to ask something about that before I forget, about yeah. your concept of creativity. You mentioned the really good poems just coming into your mind. I'm always interested in you know, where creative things come from, because I write a lot of different things. And, you know, I, I know for a fact that these things are coming through me, not of me. So I was wondering, what is your opinion? Like how much of this comes through you versus is really of you? And, and of course, it's some kind of a conscious co-creation, I think, with yes, the I divine. But how would you define that? I guess I wanted to ask. I think it's a co-creation. I definitely think that the spark is from who knows where, I think the spark, but, but I also think that as human beings, in order to manifest, whether it's a painting or a piece of writing or music, theater, film, there's a lot of hard work, <laughs> practice, discipline, and just kind of like, you know, hard graft, like, because think of, I'm a lover of film and Fellini's films are magic, for instance. Bergman's are great stories and many oh, yes. filmmakers, but you know, 
all the hard work required that's really quite boring and just kind of like, you know, oh, we're on set again and we've got to plow through this and that camera's broken and this light and that actor can't, you know. So it's a mixture of, but the spark is from something else. And for me, what I'm learning about as I write more and also in the process of acting, it's just really kind of like, you know, you get the words down, you get the words down, you get the words down, but then, then you put it all into the body, how, you know, the movement, and then you have to project your voice so that people can hear. But then in the actual performance, in my opinion, you know, what, what people remember, why some people are great in any field of art, that something happens which is beyond all that technique. Right. Right. So I think the spark comes from somewhere. And then I think the spark cooperates with you continually. If you allow it, you kind of have to get into that state of like, I'm aware of all the technique that I've learned and, I, and it must be there. Otherwise, nobody will be able to hear me or it won't be believable. But if I, I've also got to kind of let go and let something else take over. So that's what I think. It's I think it's a co, a co-creation. And I have a friend who's quite, who's a brilliant singer, and she says always her songs that come from that thing where she just they just suddenly burst out of her and she doesn't know what happens. They're the ones that people love and cry over, and you know, and get picked up and used as theme tunes, and you know. So it's interesting. It is. But you've got to have the technique. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Right? As well, a writer, yeah. you're not going to sit down and write your book without like a discipline. There's a certain amount of man hours you've got to sit the rear end in the chair or it doesn't happen. I mean, obviously. So, yes. And I'm working more on that because I'm definitely going to fess up to the fact that I've always been a person who just kind of gets intuitive hits and like, oh, I know this and I see that and out it comes. But I'm working more on the discipline. I want to manifest these things so that other people can, you know, um, enjoy them. They're not for me. They're to be right. given out. Exactly. Works, right? In terms of this consciousness, these, these ETs, I really feel like there are a lot of really benevolent interdimensional beings who do want to speak through artists and writers and creators to bring themselves you know, either, you know, very high frequency messaging and or loving thoughts and things like that to the world through creators. What do you think of that? I totally agree with you. And I also think that, you know, taking it to another level, not only that, they're actually trying to um, help us save ourselves on our beautiful planet, which is so magical and wonderful. And who knows what bigger scheme we're a part of. So I think there's, they're giving us a lot of messages about that. But also, I think it's through um, art and creation that people um, feel the joy to be alive and energized and then get more creative about like, oh, well, what can I do? You know, can I actually plant a garden with all my 10 neighbors? You know, can I do this? Could I actually not subscribe to that paper because I think they're feeding me lots of stories that aren't good for humanity yeah i think i think these the contact with these beings is very much about that mm. and 
I'm very interested in a poet, an Irish poet called W.B. Yeats, who I love. And his, a lot of his poems came through his wife's channelings. So his poems <clears throat> aren't directly channeled poems through himself, but he studied these, uh, you know, his wife did automatic writing. So it was just kind of whatever was coming through for her. She didn't even know. And then he'd study it and then he'd create poems out of that. And he's this sort of world renowned poet. I mean, you know, you read his poems and they're just beautiful and you kind of, you kind of get it like, wow, this is coming from something, this vast, like loving, extraordinary, brilliant intelligence. But that's interesting to me that it came through his wife's automatic writing. That I had never heard before. That is amazing. Isn't it? It's incredible. I don't know that. And I think that maybe behind a lot of artists that, are, that we all know of and, you know, the great ones, you know, who knows what was going on behind the scenes, right? What, yes. what, what were they communing with? What, what kind of things were they actually consciously actively trying to commune with and talk with? I'd like to do more of that myself, actually. I'll just be open about that. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, if they would admit it, I think more and more people are getting more open to saying, well, yeah, it was just there and I just, it just came through or whatever. But I think that back in the day, people would have been very hesitant to let people know because they'd be calling the nut house and having you committed, you know. I still, I mean, personally for myself, there's still a lot as, and as your friend said to you, don't talk about the blue woman, Shelley. You know, that there's a lot that I keep very much to myself and there's a reason for it because I think it's to be used in your work in the world and your interactions. You don't want to put people off, you right. know. And then the time arises when perhaps you can speak a bit about it, but it's interesting. There's a, there's a reason why you know, a lot of the ancient um, sort of magical systems were, were secret or Aboriginal tribes kept their, um, you know, ways uh, secret because people will misuse that or energetically it kind of throws you off your path, you know? Because if you've got like loads of people going, oh, that's rubbish. And they can say that on social media now, like millions yeah. of They can about our conversation and it's, it's not very helpful. So I would choose wisely about what I choose to speak about. But um, I did just come out and talk about the golden insects. But, you know, there you go. It's a risk. <laughs> I'm happy to say that I felt like they gave me something that I don't quite know yet how to um, manifest something useful here, but I trust that I will with their help. I mean, that's just my own personal experience, but I think you understand that. <laughs> yes, I understand. Plus, I think that, you know, as you've said, a lot of people have had those experiences. Maybe they haven't told anyone. And I think that when people do talk about their experiences, it helps people. I do. I believe that. I believe that too. It's like you, you just kind of open the little door and they go, wait, I saw those too. Or maybe I'm okay, you know. 
like you yeah. said you're trying to make the make people you know or help people where they're at and i think that's a way of doing that exactly where you know exactly where people are at it's like you know and and also you don't have to it's good also always to kind of doubt and to question everything and to continually do that but there comes a point where you can go like well whatever that was i am noticing the difference in my life right the way that you know things are improving my health my work how this project is gaining momentum with a huge group of people. I mean, it's not for nothing, you know. Actually, I'm interested. What do you, do you have any ideas about, now that you're open about the blue woman, do you have any ideas about what, how that sort of, did that activate anything in you or did it change your life in any way or? Yeah, back in the, I guess I don't remember when this book came out. I, I was shown a healing method you know, with star symbols. And I, so I created an entire energy method that I call galactic healing. And so I was teaching it, but it just wasn't really, nobody was interested in it, you know? So I have a book about it. And so people can read that. Um, and then I just started getting contacted to do more with the crystals, which I also think are, you know, being aided through interdimensionality and, and different things like that. So that kind of just took off. And then many years later, just a few years ago, I put another book out um, after I channeled another healing method and then it just all came roaring back. I had a psychic many years ago say, well, you're going to come back to this, you know, this galactic healing and this blue lady stuff. Now though, the, the vibrational energy of that thing that I created 20 years ago, it's a different energy now. So I have a bunch of new techniques that I've been shown. And I, I assume from these same group of, of beings who I've always found to be very, very helpful. But yeah. now when I talk about it, people seem to be just, people are seeking it out and they think, oh, I read this book years ago and I, I want to see what you're doing now. It's very strange. It's a very strange feeling because I would never have believed that I would ever have ever come back to talking about this again. Isn't you know? that, I love that though, because it was kind of, it was shown to you then, it was very clear and you just said, oh, nobody was really that interested, but I bet they are now. Like you, and as you say, it's a sort of, revivifying of yeah you know. i feel like you know even this last year i've been having this feeling about when we think about that we've been locked up in our houses for about a year now and right yeah. now i live in texas so we're very open here everybody's running around you know just doing whatever they want just like the good old days when i'm out there i mean at first it was shocking like i'm not even used to being around a lot of people and then once you just dive in you you almost just forget that all of that other hardship even happened and it's similar to this like when i come back and i'm talking about i teach a lot of different healing classes through my online school and they're uh, yeah a lot of them i mean that's where they come from i'm sure is these interdimensional beings who show me these things so it seems like all of this time almost didn't even happen because we already know time is not real anyway, but I'm having more and more feelings of the lack of reality of linear time every single minute, yes. the older I get. Absolutely. And quantum physics is also showing us that, you know, how we thought about time and space and matter is actually like, they, you know, they don't even understand, but they know that it's not what we thought it was. And I kind yes. of think that's what's great about what you and Alan were talking about and we're talking about now is that 
it's not what we think it is. So isn't that like refreshing? It's like, we're just, it's this wonderful discovery. We've got plenty of tools that we've learned, but there's so much that is now possibly going to be revealed about our abilities as humans, other life species, other forms of intelligence. And it's a great adventure. And I know the hypnotherapist, Barbara Lamb, who was one of our guests on Alan's shows, who, you know, right? She's yeah. She said that she's had, she said very openly that she'd had this communication with John Mack, the Harvard psychiatrist who's now deceased. And, she, and she, she said, so come on, John, you know, can, is there anything you can tell me? Like you were so fascinated by the abduction UFO, um, other forms of intelligence, the other beings that are, seem to be communicating to us, showing us methods, showing us what we need to do with the planet, to, you know, how to help ourselves, show, giving us information about ourselves and other things. You know, what, what's the scoop? She said to him, and he said, it's just, it's not what you think it is, but you're gonna see, you're gonna know, but it, you can't possibly imagine. <laughs> so that's what Alan and I always talk about. It's like, you know, it's the unknown and we'll only know when we get there. Um, but meanwhile, I do know that people are having these encounters. I talked to someone very recently and I was just like, wow, that's incredible. Yeah. These holographic little scenes, like theater scenes. And me as a sort of person who loves film and theater and story, she's like, it's like, God, I'd love to, that's incredible. You know, if you put that in a film, people would be like, wow, that's a fantastic science fiction film. But it was happening in her bedroom, these golden holographic scenes of these strange beings showing her all kinds of ways that we can exist and heal and know about our, you know, how we can deal with our fears. There's a lot more. I want to interview her in depth, actually. And I said, you know, if you don't want to use, if you don't want your name to be used, I, I really want to talk about this because she said it went on and on and on all night and she just watched it. Wow. And so, and you know, that to me is like, that's, ex that's just wonderful and marvelous. And I'd much rather be listening to her than like the latest New York Times article. Although that's interesting too, because as you say, it's kind of bringing us to the tipping point. If it's in there, then people are going to be like, okay, I'll listen to anything about the subject. That's why it's useful. Right. But in, in terms of what they're actually telling us, whatever, honestly. I completely agree with that, absolutely. So it has been a complete joy to connect with you, your wonderful friends. You need to check out Henrietta's uh, website, which is Vine, B-Y-N-E, Productions. Dot com. I'm going to put a link up to Alan's wonderful book, Making Contact, so you can check out her essay. It is absolutely beautifully written. I love the spirit that through which you put it out there. Um, it's, it's wonderful. It's refreshing. And it's going to help a lot of people. Thank you. Yes. And I just want to say to all your viewers, like, 
um, anybody that wants to contact me, I, I just so love to hear about your stories, if you've had any similar ones that, you know, Shelley and I have been discussing, because I think once we can all open up, you know, I'm, my next piece of writing is going to be talking about other people's experiences and kind of collating it into a story. And then yes. also, um, my friend and I have created a television series and I hope he will get to see it. Because I think it will, I believe in that way of like, you know, this will, people will go like, well, I, I know what they're talking about, but it's through fiction. So, you know, it's more, it's more palatable somehow. I totally agree with that because people are willing to suspend, um, you know, disbelief if they watch it on the sci-fi channel. Okay. Then maybe they can think about it in that way. I think that's helpful too, in its own way. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's all helpful. It's all helpful. It's been so lovely talking to you. It's been so great, Henrietta. I have loved meeting you. Friends, check out Henrietta's website. She's wonderful. And we've done it again. So stay tuned for the next episode of Healing Arts when we will talk to another fascinating guest. And meanwhile, yes, if you've had an experience, reach out. Let's open up and see what happens. And then we'll see if disclosure will really happen. And we will revelate it revelation of like oh there's so much more going on than we thought and now we can just get on board literally on board the starship get on board and blast off <laughs> and thank you for the work you do i really appreciate i just admire anybody that goes i'm gonna have a channel so that everyone can you know to just have it out there i think it's thank great you. Yeah. thank you likewise all right, dear ones, have a blessed day and we'll see you next time on Healing Arts. Thank you. Thank you, Shelley. Thank you. You've been listening to Healing Arts with Dr. Shelley Kerr. Visit me online at pastlifelady.com or on YouTube at pastlifelady or connect with me on Facebook at pastlifelady. Did you know that scientists now say that up to 50% of your personality is carried over through your DNA? I know, right? It's shocking, but apparently it's true. And that's the reason why you will love my book, Heal Your Ancestors to Heal Your Life. Through the book, you can take guided journeys into the past and discover places where your ancestors need healing you can send loving kindness, grace, and healing light to your ancestors and experience the ripple effects as that wonderful energy travels through time and affects all people in your family tree. So check out my book, Heal Your Ancestors to Heal Your Life from Llewellyn Worldwide. Right now, when you purchase any of my Llewellyn titles, that would be Meet Your Karma, The Healing Power of Past Life Memories, Past Lives with Pets, or Heal Your Ancestors to Heal Your Life, 
I will gift you a free audio recording where you'll go into the healing arts school and you'll be able to take a guided journey straight from the book. And I'll give this to you free with your purchase. Just send me an email, send me a copy of your receipt to Shelly, that's S-H-E-L-L-E-Y at Shelly, care, K-A-E-H-R.com. And I will enroll you into a guided journey. You can also find the details about this offer on my homepage on my website at pastlifelady.com. Thank you in advance for your support of my work. And I hope that these guided journeys will help you. My book, Past Lives with Pets, was just awarded the 2021 Coalition of Visionary Resources Award in the animal and pet category. It got the silver medal. Thank you so much for all of your support of my book. I am grateful. My friend George Norrie says, Dr. Shelley Care's Past Lives with Pets connects people to their pets in a way few people have ever experienced before, through past lives. She makes a case that our animals are with us for a reason. Their grief recovery processes are invaluable for anyone who loved and lost a cherished animal. That's from George Norrie, Coast to Coast AM. So my book will give you guided imagery exercises where you can discover how you knew your pet in the past. And if you have loved and lost your beloved animal, I'll help you go through a very gentle grief recovery journey that can really help you in this very, very difficult time. So check out my book, Past Lives with Pets, and thank you in advance for your support. Thank you.